Gamer and Games Prophecy Times podcast. We are in episode 14 today, and we are looking at a very cool subject uh, called the Jewish wedding and, uh, and how it connects and relates to the rapture of the church. Now, uh, Lani, my gorgeous wife, uh, laughed uh, almost hysterically at, at the, the idea of this, but uh, I figured seeing as we're talking about a wedding, I would, uh, I would dress up in uh, my wedding attire from some 15 years ago. So here you have it. I am in my wedding suit and uh, we're going to do this podcast together in costume, so to speak. Okay, so by way of introduction, I want you to grab your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're looking at the Jewish wedding and we're looking at it from uh, a promise, or, or, or should I say, how it connects to a promise that Jesus makes to his disciples and to you and me if you're a Christ follower in John 14 verses 1 through 3. He says this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, this is an absolutely incredible promise that Jesus made to his disciples. But to the Jewish men that were sitting uh, around the table uh, that he made this promise to, there was a deeper meaning that would have been recognized instantly, even though it is likely that they probably didn't completely understand it. They would have recognized uh, the words that Christ used to share this promise. They would have recognized something very interesting. One of the things they would have recognized, this is not the only thing, but one of the things they would have recognized is the word that Jesus used that we get translated from the Greek into the English uh, that is the word receive. I will come again and receive you to myself. Now that word is used many times in the New Testament, but at times that word is used in the New Testament for the action of a bridegroom taking his betrothed wife unto himself. It's used in Matthew 1, uh, verse 20 and verse 24. Verse 20 says, But while he thought about these things, talking about Joseph, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take, it's that word, to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 24 of Matthew 1 then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took, same word, him, his wife. Now, the truth is, along with the whole picture of John 14, two and verses 2 and 3, that whole picture, that, those sentences, the way in which Jesus explained what he was doing, that along with... Um, uh, the, the usage of this word receive implied something very interesting to this, these disciples. It implied an analogy between Jewish wedding customs 
in Bible times and his coming to receive his bride, the church. Jesus connected or implied or made a wedding implication, if you will, by the use of the sentences that he used and the specific words that he used. He implied a connection to a, to a wedding whilst explaining his return, which I find fascinating. Now, I haven't made this wedding analogy up. You've heard me say time and again that we have to take the Bible literally. That is, we need to read it plainly and take it for what it says. Now, so today we're looking at uh, the, the usage of an analogy in Scripture. Now, when we, when we use analogies in Scripture, it needs to be such that Scripture teaches it plainly. So it needs to be not an analogy that I necessarily just make up. And thankfully, this, this wedding analogy that Jesus builds on and utilizes here in John 14 is not something that I have made up. If you jump to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, Ephesians 5, 22 to 23 says this, uh, Wives, this is Paul talking, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her. Sanctify means to set apart and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, the word of God, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, that is a glorious bride, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. <clears throat> he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the lord does the church for we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh at this point you might presume or assume that paul is talking exclusively about a marriage between a man and a woman. But he then says this, verse 32, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul says, I'm talking about the church and Christ, but nevertheless, you need to do these things still. Romans 7 verse 4, numerous places it talks about the church being the bride of Christ. Here in Romans 7 verse 4, it says this, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through, uh, through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Who is that? Jesus, married to Jesus, that we should bear fruit to God. That was Romans 7, 4. Now 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. 
For I am jealous, this is Paul talking, for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband. Who could that husband be? That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. There's the analogy again. Church to Christ, bride, bridegroom. These all, along with many other passages in Scripture, indicate that the New Testament recognizes a valid analogy between human marriage and Christ's relationship with the church. And John 14 even more specifically recognizes a valid analogy, and we'll see why as we dive into it, between human marriage and Christ's future coming as bridegroom to receive his bride, that is the church. So let's look a little, clo- a little closer at this Jewish uh, wedding analogy um, and how it connects with John 14 and Jesus' second coming. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you, on the one hand, Jewish wedding customs of the time. So what, what the process would have been like um, to, pro, uh, to move from uh, not married to married. What did that look like in Jewish customs at that time? I'm going to show you that alongside of um, actions and words of Jesus and, and um, verses throughout the New Testament. What are the wedding customs look like and what does Scripture tell us about Christ's relationship to his church and we're going to uh, look at those side by side. Okay, so first of all, in those times, the Jewish bridegroom would take the initiative in marriage. It was up to the Jewish bridegroom to take the initiative in marriage by leaving his father's house and traveling to the home of the prospective bride. It was his responsibility to travel to the home or the hometown of the prospective bride to seek uh, an agreement to marriage. So too, Jesus left his father's house in heaven and traveled to the earth, which is the home of the, the prospective bride, that is his prospective church, some 2,000 years ago at his first coming. The Jewish bridegroom once coming to the hometown or the home of the prospective bride would come to obtain his bride. And I know that, sound, that word sounds funny in our 21st century, but that's what would happen. The, the bridegroom would come to obtain his bride by establishing a married marriage covenant with her. So too, Jesus came to obtain the church by establishing a covenant. On the same night that Jesus made his John 14, 3 promise, he instituted what we now call in these days communion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five 25 says this, In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the what? The new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. See, by shedding his blood on the cross the next day, he established a new covenant through which he could obtain his church. 
Next, the Jewish bridegroom, uh, upon uh, going to uh, the bride and obtaining his church through a marriage covenant, uh, the bridegroom would pay a purchase price or a bride price to establish the marriage covenant with his bride. It was like the, <clears throat> the thing that sealed the deal. Um, a bride price would be paid to the family of the bride. Um, that was the custom of the time. So too would Jesus pay the bride price through the shedding of his blood on the cross. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Did you catch that? You are not your own when you become a Christ follower. Why? Because you were bought by Christ, by the blood of Jesus on the cross. He paid the bride price to seal the marriage covenant for his bride, the church. Then the Jewish bride was declared at that point sanctified or set apart exclusively for her groom once the marriage covenant was established. So too the church has been declared set apart exclusively for Christ. The, the bride in those days when she walked around outside would wear a veil to show that she is set apart for Jesus, to show that she uh, is sanctified, uh, sorry, set apart for Jesus, set apart for her bridegroom, uh, to show that she is sanctified. So too the church. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified or set apart in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you, but you were washed, but, sorry, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, that is set apart, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God, of our God. And Hebrews 10.10 By that will we have been set apart, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The Jewish bridegroom and bride at the, at the sealing of the marriage covenant would drink from a cup of wine as a symbol of the marriage covenant. As a symbol, so the bride price sealed the deal essentially, but the uh, the drinking of the cup of wine was the symbol, if you will, uh, of the marriage covenant. But what's interesting about that symbol was at the time, it was, it was even more than a symbol in that uh, this cup could be accepted or rejected by the bride. So we see the bridegroom comes to obtain his bride. But at this point in Jewish culture, particularly in the region of Galilee, the bride still at this point of the process had complete control and say in whether she accepted or rejected 
the offer of the bridegroom. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that all who believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God doesn't force us. He offers out the, the invitation, the marriage covenant. And at this point, the bride, the church, has the opportunity to accept or reject. But in drinking of this cup, the Jewish bridegroom and bride, uh, this was a sign of uniting them as husband and wife. From that point forward, they were husband and wife. So too, Christ has given the cup of communion for the church to drink as a recurring symbol of the new covenant in his blood. And this symbol, this covenant has united Jesus and the church spiritually as husband and wife. Matthew 26, 27 and 29 says, Then he took the cup, this is Jesus, and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Now that last statement of Jesus is profound. That statement is a betrothal statement. In the Jewish wedding culture, the Jewish bridegroom would offer the cup to the prospective bride. And if she chose to accept, she would drink it. And then he would take the cup and he would drink from the cup. And then he would say, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's house. That is what he would say traditionally to his prospective bride as a sealing of the marriage covenant that they would uh, consummate in the future. Incredible. So another um, statement of Christ that, um, that points to the analogy of the bride of Christ, the analogy of the Jewish bridegroom and the bride, Christ and his church. <clears throat> Next, the Jewish bridegroom would then leave. So you've got um, the covenant being given, the um, cup being accepted and drunk, the bride price being paid, and, and then the bridegroom would leave the home of the, uh, the bride and the bride's father and return to his own father's house. That is after the establishment of the marriage covenant. So too, on the day of Jesus' ascension back up to heaven, he left the earth, that is the home of the church, and returned to his father's house in heaven after he had established the new covenant and risen from the dead. Acts 1, 9 to 11 says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, these men were angels, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? 
This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner. Sound familiar? John 14, as you saw him go into heaven. Then the Jewish bridegroom, once he departed back to his father's house, would then remain separated from his bride in his father's house for a period of time between the betrothal and the wedding proper or the consummation of that marriage. So too Christ has remained separated from the church in heaven, in his father's house. The church, you see, is now living in that period of separation between the time of his departure, that is his ascension, and the time of his return. That's the period of time we're in now. We're in that time of separation. And then the Jewish bridegroom would prepare a dwelling place for his bride in his father's house during this time of separation. Likewise, Christ, as per John 14, has been preparing a dwelling place for the church in his father's house in heaven since that time until now, during this period of separation. Man, Jesus was a carpenter on earth. I know he, doesn't, he hasn't needed 2,000 years, but man, he's had a lot of time to prepare our dwelling place. It's going to be incredible, and I cannot wait. John 14:2. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. That's where he is right now. Then the Jewish bridegroom would come back. So after this period of separation, the Jewish bridegroom would come back to take his bride to live with him in his father's house. And this would be done at the end of this period of separation. So too will Christ come back to take his church, that is his bride, to live with him in his father's house in heaven. At the end of this period of separation, John 14, 3, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to heaven and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Then the Jewish bride, um, so when the bridegroom would come, the Jewish bride did not know the time. This was particularly evident in Galilean uh, cultures uh, in the culture of the region of Galilee. Uh, the Jewish bride did not know the time when the bridegroom would come for her. The bride didn't know when the bridegroom would come. Likewise, the church doesn't know when Christ will come for it. As explained in a previous podcast on the doctrine of imminency, Christ coming for the church is an imminent event. It can happen at any moment. Likewise, in Jewish wedding customs, the groom could come at any moment. It was expected that it, would, it could be anywhere from sort of nine months onwards after the betrothal process, but the bride didn't know when. She had to be ready at all times. It could happen at any moment. Jewish bridegroom's arrival. So that moment, that time of arrival would be preceded by a shout 
and he would be accompanied by his bride, by his groomsmen, sorry, I should say. And typically it was by night and by a torchlight procession. So too, Christ's arrival to take the church will be preceded by a shout and he will be accompanied by an angelic escort as he comes and picks up his bride. First Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with what? A shout. With the voice of who? Of an archangel. The angels will be with him and with the trumpet of God. The Jewish bride would then return with the bridegroom to his father's house after her departure from her home. So the bride would leave her home and go with the bridegroom and the bridegroom's escort to the father's house. So too will the church return with Christ to his father's house in heaven after we are caught up from the earth to meet him in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. What an incredible truth. So the bridegroom returns with the groom to the father's house. The Jewish wedding party then, that is the, the bride, the bridegroom and the, the escorts, would find upon arrival at the father's house, wedding guests who had assembled in the father's house waiting for the wedding. So too Christ and the church will find the souls of the Old Testament saints assembled and waiting in the father's house in heaven when they arrive. These souls will serve as wedding guests for Christ and the church. Now, in Jewish wedding customs, shortly after the bridegroom and the bride's arrival at the father's house. Remember, we're, we're talking Jewish wedding customs. Shortly after their arrival at the father's house, they would be escorted by the members of the wedding party to the bridal chamber, which is what uh, the bridegroom had been constructing in their time of separation. They'd be escorted to the bridal chamber. Now, prior to entering the chamber, the bride would remain veiled so that no one could see her face properly. The bride and bridegroom would then enter the bridal chamber alone and there in the privacy of that place, in the bridal chamber, the veil would then be removed. It would come off and they would enter into physical union for the first time, thereby consummating the marriage so too when Christ and his church arrive to his father's house, the veil will come off the church, so to speak, as we will be seen for exactly who we are when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 to 10 says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We will be laid bare, veil removed when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage is consummated. 
after the marriage was consummated in Jewish wedding custom, the groom would come out to the wedding party, that is his escorts, uh, and announce the consummation. So he would come out to his, his groomsmen, essentially, and would announce the, the consummation. They had, uh, they had made love with one another. Then the bridegroom would go back to his bride in the chamber after making the announcement of consummation. And the wedding party, his escorts, would then go to the guests, the wedding guests, and announce the consummation. And upon hearing this good news, the guests would remain in the father's house for the next seven days, celebrating with a great wedding feast. But in Jewish wedding custom, the, the bridegroom and bride would remain hidden for this period of seven days after they arrived at the father's house. So during this time, they would remain hidden. So too, Christ and the church will remain hidden for a period of seven years after they arrive in heaven, while the seven years of the 70th week of Daniel 9 are taking place on the earth. Christ and his church will be in heaven, totally hidden from the view of those living on the earth through that time. The Jewish bridegroom and bride after those seven days would come out of hiding with the bride's veil removed. The veil was gone so that all could see who she was clearly. So too Christ and the church will come out of hiding from heaven after the seven years of Daniel's 70th week in full view of all who are still alive on the earth at that time, so that everyone can see who the true church is, arrayed in fine linen at the return of Christ. Revelation 19, 11 through 14. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. And that is Jesus. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God, Jesus. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, that is the church, that is the bride of Christ, followed him on white horses. For the first time, the bride and the bridegroom are revealed to the whole world. See, God has set up this marriage analogy between Christ and the church. We see it all through Scripture. Jesus implied this analogy in John 14 through the words that he uh, used, uh, both specifically and also the, uh, the context of what he was sharing. And the reason this is significant is because in contrast to all other views about the rapture of the church, the pre-tribulation view of the rapture, that is that the rapture will take place imminently at any moment before a seven-year period of tribulation, which will culminate with Christ's return to the earth with his bride, which will precede a thousand-year millennial kingdom and then kick into eternity. This pre-tribulation view of the rapture corresponds fully with Jesus' promise and the Jewish wedding analogy that we see throughout Scripture. 
the pre-tribulation rapture view is the only view of the rapture that fully corresponds and supports and makes sense of this wedding analogy. In light of this truth, John 14, 1 through 3 is a very significant, though analogous, though it's an analogy, is a very significant line of evidence in favor of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Guys, thank you so much for joining another Gathering Gain Prophecy Times podcast. Next week, we will look at, and I'm super excited about this, we'll look at the doctrine of the rapture in church history. So many people have said to me over the years, the, uh, the pre-tribulation rapture is a, is a new doctrine. It's a, it's a new thing that we learn about in the 1800s through, I think his name is John Darby. And... And what I want to show you next week is that, in fact, and in truth, uh, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church has been taught as early as the apostles and right through the early church. Really looking forward to seeing you guys next week uh, for another Prophecy Times podcast, Wednesday, 5 p.m. Much love and God bless.